Okay, as in go. Sorry, one second. Fork Tales, a podcast that feeds the food and beverage world. Oh, awesome. Fortales is brought to you by Vigor, a branding and marketing agency for passion-driven, innovative restaurant, beverage, and hospitality brands. Learn more at VigorBranding.com. If you love what we're serving up, please give Fortales a five-star review on your podcast service of choice. Think of it as a tip for good service. Hey everyone, this week I am joined by my friend and social media maverick, Gunja Ascendamir. She is the founder of Flatbread Grill and Thumbbread. And we're going to talk all about that journey and all about uh, what she's all about. But for now, say hello, give a little backstory. Hi, I'm Gunja. Um, I started a fast casual Mediterranean restaurant concept in 2007 with my two sisters, Arzu and Fisun, while I was still in college. I'm the chief marketing officer. I take care of marketing, social media, communications for for that brand, and also for our new brand, which is a consumer packaged goods product, um, Thumbbread. It's a spinoff from our restaurant brand, and I also take care of the marketing, communications, social media for that as well with my sisters. Um, Arzu is the CEO, and my big sister is the uh, chief financial officer of both companies. Awesome. So we're working with two sisters, I imagine has its benefits, but also I'm sure there's some people out there like, who I could not imagine working with my family. How has that dynamic been over the years? It's gotten, it's gotten better. Um, obviously <laughs> when, when I was in, in college, um, I had a, I was in a, a different, different space. I was, you know, interning in the music industry I had a little bit of a wild and crazy social life. I was kind of bouncing around from job to job, and my sisters were definitely had had a more linear path. Arzu um, knew right after high school that she was going to work to save up money to put herself through college, and that's basically what she did throughout her entire college career. It was basically going to work, going to class, going to work, going to class. No, so, you know, no social, no real social life. Um, and then my big sister obviously has just been, uh, she's the first child of immigrant parents. So she had a, a world of responsibility growing up and she's, you know, been, she's always yeah. been very focused and responsible. So I'm the middle sister. Um, so there, you know, <laughs> there was some adjustments to be made there. But overall, we we share the same values, and we were raised, we were we were raised, um, you know, essentially in the same way to be kind, to be conservative and humble, modest, um, to be hardworking, to focus on success. So those core values is really what helps us get us through the the difficult times, you know, the arguments, the petty fights, and also just going back to our why, which is family. We, you know, the three of us support our parents and essentially, um, you know, no matter what we're arguing about, what we're going through, it's our parents, that's, that's bigger than anything. So we always kind of come back to, to that, to that, why that motivation and put aside our differences. I think that's the power of why, right. Is when everybody's bought in, it's, mm-hmm. it's easy to like put a pause on things, take a step back and say, is this 
is this living? Can we, do we need to take a minute? Let's go back to our corners. Um, (laughs) I I love that. And I love that all three of you understand that that's what purpose is really all about. Um, so you mentioned the, uh, flatbread grill was started in 2007. It's a Mediterranean concept. I think you also mentioned that. Why, why bring that to market? What was the passion behind just the brand in general? So at the time, you know, my, my family was going through some difficulties. My father had gotten very sick. He needed open heart surgery. Um, we didn't have health insurance. You know, my father has been, uh, an entrepreneur for his entire life. So, um, you know, there was, there was a bit of poverty in our background. So health insurance wasn't actually a thing and he Mm -hmm. needed, you know, medical care. And at the time, my my big sister, Fisun, was, you know, supporting our family as much as she could. And um, she had a great, you know, great corporate job that eventually ended up letting her go. And we grew up in the restaurant industry. My father had restaurants growing up and we all love food. Um, I think anyone that knows us will tell you we'll always choose eating over anything else. I love so, it. <laughs> you know, pieces that I don't think I want to go back to working corporate. Um, and you know, she, she had been working her entire life where, whether it was as a teenager, my father's restaurant running his restaurants when she was 13 years old or, you know, getting her first internship in uh, the electronics field when she was like right out of high school. Hmm. So, um, she decided she would rather work for herself. And Arzu was just graduating from college with a double degree in business and finance. And she was kind of at a crossroads. Like, do I go work on Wall Street? Do I go to grad school? Do I go to law school? So the two of them decided that they would start a restaurant. And um, and I was kind of, you know, floating around in my life trying to figure out what I was going to do if I was ever going to graduate, uh, having your usual 20-something-year-old. I've confused uh, what's next in my life. The, the quarter-life crisis, as we call it, yes, right? <laughs> which I have nearly every day of my life still. <laughs> so, um, you know, they're like, hey, do you want to start a restaurant with us? And I'm like, hey, get in. Get in. We're, we're going to go start a restaurant. I was like, all right, cool. I got nothing else going on. And that was it. And then Arzu really... Um, She's, she's just a genius. You know, I, I wish she could be on this podcast, but we have different, we really have different schedules these days. Um, but she was like, we're going to do differentiation and we're going to have a brand and we're going to have something for every, she had a very, very strong vision of what she wanted this concept to be. And it was, I mean, 2007, like people were doing that. They were building right. restaurant concepts, you know? So she was very much ahead of her time. She was only 23 years old, probably one of the youngest restaurant, fast casual restaurant founders in this entire industry. Um, and, and that was basically it. And we, you know, we used our, our, our upbringing, our love of traditional Turkish food and made it accessible to people. Um, and it was really important to kind of maintain our, our cultural background in the menu. Um, my father wouldn't have had it any other way, but you know, it was just, it just came together beautifully, you know, and it really, worked. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting because, you know, um, the shame of, of the culinary world, or maybe just the way consumers see it is we have to rope together such a large swath of geography and cultures underneath one title, which is Mediterranean. Yeah. Um, and it's not, it's not, um, this isn't a complaint or, or the beginning of an activist speech by any means. It's just, it's only a shame because there are similarities, but there are 
mm-hmm. notable differences. So like, I yeah. think I've said it on the podcast. I'll say it again. My friends, if they're <laughs> listening, are going to roll their eyes. I think Lebanese hummus is the best hummus. It is like, very good. Yeah. It's really, they just, they nailed it. They're good at it. <laughs> High five. Um, it's my favorite, you know, but you know, you'll find hummus in Turkish food as well. You'll find, you're going to find hummus well, we in Greek the food. Lebanese how to make it. So. <laughs> okay. I love it. Okay, great. <laughs> we, did, we did rule the Ottoman Empire. If I'm just repeating what my father has repeated throughout his entire restaurant career. What people ask them is we did rule the Ottoman Empire. So I That's mean, true. It, there's a lot of conflict there with the Greeks and the Armenians and the Lebanese and the Syrians of who really was responsible. But, you know, those cultures became un- enmeshed at some point. But yeah. um, I will tell you that i think lebanese people come very very close to um you know turkish what we consider turkish food but i think they are they do a tremendous job they really do yeah and maybe maybe it's the uh the the french colonization that kind of helped them uplift their (laughs) hospitality or whatever um you know one of those things but um i think what's interesting though is like you really if somebody were to offer me for instance different kinds of hummus like i have a preference but but i'm Mm -hmm. um, well traveled as it pertains to the culinary world um However, if if you could help for those that aren't familiar with Turkish food, would you be able to give some examples and descriptions? Mm-hmm. So, Turkish food is is very popular in um, in Europe, and it's not as popular here as Mexican food and pizza and you know um, Chinese food. So, it introducing that into the market was going to be difficult. And my father originally didn't want us to do traditional Turkish food, and we there was an, a little bit of an uproar in the Turkish community when we started getting press and we were in the New York Times um, because people thought that we were butchering Turkish food. Um, Turkish Turkish people are very, wow. they tend to be very traditional. My father has a Turkish doctor, a Turkish mechanic, a Turkish accountant. So they, they, they tend to be very traditional and stick to tradition. Um, so we were, we were really the trendsetters and we were the first to, to take you know, to even to take hummus and scoop it onto a salad, you know, that was unheard of or to, you know, change the, the chicken, um, marination to, you know, be, be a little bit more intense. Um, the shepherd salad, we made it the chopped tomato salad. Some people know it as an uh, Israeli salad, even that we, we changed the, the recipe and the way we make it. Um, so people were not, Turkish people are not used to that. I mean, now you can see our influence in in people in ter- traditional Turkish menus, but back then it was we were kind of thinking outside the box and really, um, you know, we like to eat tzatziki with um, as a sauce on on our on our kebabs, and and Turkish people actually serve that as a dip. They don't serve it as a sauce. Now they serve it as a sauce because it was, you know, it's the mainstream thing to do with Middle Eastern Mediterranean food. Right. But your your basic staples of you know kebabs, um, derna, um, there's a lot of there's a lot of meats. Um, I don't think Turkish people do as much with the spices as other cultures do. We like to keep it simple. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, a big part of our menu was also our, our bread, which is, was different and a big differentiator for us. So your, your standard staples, feta cheese is really big for us in any Mediterranean, Middle Eastern, um, menu is going to have feta cheese. You know, we had your traditional things like stuffed grape leaves, um, burdick, llama june, which is a Turkish pizza, but those things didn't do as well as you know something like our mediterranean chicken 
was sure. extremely popular on our menu, um, or Greek salads. Um, and we did, we did do some, some, some pizzas, but the Turkish pizza didn't, unfortunately did not work out. Uh, it's still not, um, as popular here in this country, you know, outside of traditional Turkish restaurants. So, so the Turkish pizza, is that kind of like a za'atar? So it's, it's a basically minced meat with seasoning. There's no sauce and the, the meat has to, it has to be fresh. It always has to be very fresh. You're, you'll hardly ever walk into a Turkish restaurant and find it not, not prepared that day. Um, or actually when we were doing, we were preparing minced, uh, the, we were taking the mincemeat and seasoning right before we made the pizzas, and it's mm-hmm. in a very, very thin, thin crust. So um, it's kind of like a an open face. I want to say empanada, but it's not fried. It's it's baked. So. Yeah. Okay. I've seen this before. Um, so the the meat itself, it almost looks like really finely ground beef with yeah. uh, mm-hmm. red reddish, you know, a brown reddish yeah, yeah. orange hue mm-hmm. to it, and then it's like yeah. almost covers the entire flatbread. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, it's really, um, and if you can get it, like it's it's actually really good if you can get it at the right place. Um, yeah, and and we did we did a good job with it and making it. But again, we we didn't serve it in the traditional way with the 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 toppings. Um, so it didn't just it didn't really work for our menu. Sure. Yeah, I think what's interesting is like I think the Turkish culture uh, as it pertains to culinary is is getting more and more traction as time goes on. Um, you're mm-hmm. gonna maybe hate me for this, but Salt Bay definitely put uh, Turkish <laughs> <laughs> Turkish flair on the map, right? Um, no, <laughs> so no, that's no, cool. I know how people feel like when we were the most when people were equating us with Turkish food back then because we were so out there, and now to hear you like equate Salt Bay, <laughs> right? <laughs> as as a, to hear. Turkish shit. Um, you know, he's, I, I love what he's, he's done. It's, 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 it's really entertaining and it's, it's amazing because he, this is a brutal industry. So to see somebody come up like that, I, um, I love it, but I think I don't, I've looked at his menu. I don't know that he, I know that there's influences of Turkish food, but I think he deals a lot with, um, you know, steaks and, and yeah. meats and just kind of doing his own spin on it, which I think is fabulous. I thought I wish every restaurant owner would do that instead of, you know, stealing ideas from other people. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be nice. Right. <laughs> I mean, but you know, this world is iteration, right? I, I create, there is no original thought. Uh, mm-hmm. what some people will say, it's just iterations on what's been, uh, yeah. I think what's, what I loved about that whole uh, moment for him, and he still he still has restaurants. He's and I think one is in Vegas. Yeah. He still does well. Um, mm-hmm. Is whether you like him or hate him, you can't deny that the man was passionate about his craft, yeah. about his food, and it shows. So the reason why I know about Turkish pizza is because I somehow from a Salt Bay video <laughs> went into the guy who I think started doing those videos for him. Mm-hmm. And he also has a number of other personalities that he works on. And so I've seen them make that pizza. Um, so I, I have to try it next time I get an well, opportunity. That's, that's, see, that's a nice thing though. That's, that's really, um, that's something that is, it is just nice to hear that because knowing that someone that wouldn't have ever discovered Turkish pizza has access to it because of the, you know, the internet, that's really good. Um, I like to hear, and social. hear that. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. And so speaking of social, you're an absolute like icon on social media, <laughs> uh, you know, LinkedIn. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're active. Later on today, I'm going to tell my sisters, Alyssa, 
I'm an icon. On That's right. Media. They're going to be like, yeah, whatever, wash the dishes. <laughs> I'll, I'll send you a cutout of a blue check so you can carry it around just to prove it. Um, <laughs> so how, how has your activity on social media helped grow the uh, Flatbreads Grill brand and then the Thumbbread brand, which we'll mm-hmm. talk about in a second? So you know, when we started out, um, it's it was... I think Twitter was just coming up. Uh, Facebook was still for college kids uh, and LinkedIn was still just a job hunting tool. You know, we came up in a very different time. I know I'm dating myself and I sound like, you know, back in my day, but we had to really rely on word of mouth. You know, I, I look back and I'm like, wow, if we had TikTok back then, like it would have been amazing to bring people into our environment and show them and document and give them behind the scenes. And, you know, when we were young and we had a lot of energy and we were vivacious enough to want to do that. Um, so we had to really work on building through word of mouth and then the social media started happening and, we were like, oh, we should probably look into this and explore. But we were very um, apprehensive at first because, you know what, we were the only woman doing what we were doing, um, not only in the industry, just in, in cultural wise. You know, there's Turkish American women mm-hmm. are not starting restaurants. Uh, they're not starting brands, not without the help of their husbands or their brothers. Or So we were very much um, a female founded brand and it was unheard of. So in the restaurant industry, um, so we were apprehensive and it took a little bit of like dipping our feet in until we got warmed up and, um, you know, we thought, okay, well, this is kind of like, there's something, something here. So we're, we have to be very mindful because we are aligned with the brand. So how we use social media and it's, it's important to us, like what image we convey online because people do associate us with our brands. Um, it's been really helpful in reaching a worldwide audience. You know, I've, I've had the the pleasure of speaking with people online who, you know, are, are across the country or across the world. They're like, Oh, I, I've heard about your restaurant. I followed you and your sisters and so-and-so. And I'm like, wow, like it's crazy that people really um, are keeping up to date. So I love that it's, it's, it's helped us connect with people uh, and build that bridge. Um, you know, and I think I just learned as I went along. Uh, I've always been kind of like a little tech nerd. You know, I was building websites where as soon as like I had a, com- a desktop computer yeah. in high school. So, um, you know, it just, it, it comes naturally because I like storytelling. I see myself as a storyteller and I, and I love writing. That's one of the reasons LinkedIn is probably one of my favorite platforms is I get to tell stories on there. Um, and it's less of a visual, visual medium. And it's been significant in that I can stay connected to people and I can forge real connections and I could meet new people that I would otherwise not really have been able to meet because I, you know, I spent a lot of time working in my restaurants. So that's right. The outside world, the only way I was really connected to it was, you know, through digital mediums. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's just, it's, it's been terrific because, people know about the brand and they're exposed to it that, and they would otherwise not be exposed to it if it wasn't for social media yeah. in terms of like my, my maven, my iconic skills, really that's just all learned through trial and error, you know? Well, I think that, so that's a good point because I feel like a lot of people um, almost get paralyzed by the thought 
of putting content out there or they get analysis paralysis where they, they have to fine tune every mm-hmm. single thing. And I think the key to successful marketing in general, uh, especially in the social universe is not outright trial and error. It's not, it's not simply just, you know, shotgun blast, hope something sticks. It's more like, let's take a very educated guess. Mm-hmm. Let's commit to the fact that we're going to learn and that we're going to iterate and adjust. Um, and that it's okay if it's a miss. Yeah. Um, um, and it's a, a completely different thinking compared to traditional marketing and advertising thought, which is like, no, 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 no. This has to be surgical and perfect. <laughs> and, and, and you can understand why considering yeah. if you're going to spend a million dollars putting a TV ad out there, that thing better damn well be great. Um, <laughs> whereas on social, eh, a little bit more leniency and less of a financial commitment. Um, <laughs> go ahead. Yeah. The interesting thing is that, you know, when people look at our social media platforms, whether it's our, you know, our Sendemir sisters or Flatbread and, and, um, they'll be like, wow, this is so good. Like so well thought out and well put together. And like most of those photos were posted on the fly and without much thought, you know, um, there is just, there are certain parameters that we follow. Like, is this, you know, does this represent our values? Um, it is it, you know, convey a sense of authenticity. But from that point on, it's just, oh, this is a great photo. I think I'll post that, you know. But again, it comes down to what you said. It's 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 a free medium. It doesn't cost me anything to crack open my phone and put it up there, you know. So Yeah. And I think what's great is the phone, the phone really changed the game. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. being able to shoot really good photography on the fly, video on the fly, and interact with these methods is just, it's an absolute world changer. I, I'm excited to see what happens next. Um, you I'm know, a little scared. But... <laughs> I'm scared too. I mean, obviously it's probably gonna have to do something with implants in your brain, but, um, <laughs> but so you, you did a great job on building the flatbread grill brand. And then, um, 10 years after the start or a little over 10 years after the start of that brand, you guys launched Thumbbread, uh, like you mentioned is a CPG retail brand. Um, Tell, tell us what is thumb bread, like not the brand, but the actual bread, what is it? And how has this taken off for you? So, you know, I, um, thumb bread is something that Arzu, my, my little, I call my little sister. She hates it, but she's, you know, she's still younger than me, even though it's not by that much. (laughs) So she's my little sister. Um, she, you know, she was really the powerhouse behind that. Um, I just took her ideas and I, I ran, ran with it and expounded on it. Um, she was intent that in just from like her, her, her business sense that we needed differentiation and the differentiation was going to come from making our own specialty breads. Um, not really thinking about nobody knew anything about making any kind of specialty bread. Um, so she learned she's a master baker I'm just it's almost scary how good she's become um and it was just something she saw in her head and wanted to bring it to life and it's a you know recipe that she tweaked over the years and became phenomenal um it was something we talked about a lot we were you know we were open for a couple of weeks and the new york times ate there and they loved it and when they they put the review and the article out it was pretty much the title of it was breads that are flat and flavorful. So it was for us, it was like, Oh wow. Like people are noticing our bread. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. And then seeing, you know, teenagers and children were really drawn to it. They would come in and they would ask for thumb bread. 
Um, it was just a very versatile bread. Like, I don't want to sound too salesy, but when people are like, oh, what, like, what did you, what was the purpose of it? It, we needed a bread that was flexible that we could use across our entire menu, you know, with our, uh, we had an extensive menu. So we had salads and soups, uh, um, platters, um, we had panini. So we wanted a bread that we could use for pretty much everything. And thumb bread became that. And then of course people started buying it individually. Um, and again, like it was just something we talked about. And one day we just, we just went for it. We did it. Uh, Arzu came up with a, um, an interesting packaging idea. I built the prototype and then, you know, we took it to market and we, we did a little test run, um, and a local specialty retail chain did really well. So we thought, okay, well, we do have something. We're not just, you know, in our, it's not just in our minds, like, oh, we have this special bread and people love it. Like people really do love it. And it, you know, it's out there in the world now making its around and, you know, where, where we are, where, wherever we put it so far, it's done really well. And considering it's a brand new product, like people are picking it up and they're interested in it. You know, we're starting to get, um, we're starting to get emails in and DMs about the product. So it's, it's nice to see it gaining some traction. I love that. Having, you know, done it for so long. Yeah. Yeah. And it sounds like I mean, it's true innovation. So there's two things I want to comment on there. One is just as I think hummus is very indicative of the culture, the bread is too. I mean, yes. Like, fantastic bread is something notable and it, it does mm-hmm. vary from culture to culture and actually subculture to subculture. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the kind of bread that you get in a certain part of Israel, for instance, would be different than another part. Um, so it is such a, a hallmark and something mm-hmm. that is truly ownable. So that's amazing. Uh, the other one that I think is really, that I really want to pack here is the CPG world could not be further away from <laughs> the restaurant world. And I don't think, restaurateurs always understand that. Um, that, you know, the, the jargon is different. The terminology, the need is different. The consumer state is different. The smart, all of it. Yeah. All of it is different. And so you wear the, the CMO hat there. Arzu wears the, um, CEO hat. How everything has hat. that shift or the everything hat? Great. Right? Oh, that's what good CEOs do, right? Yeah, um, everything. how do you guys even begin to pivot when you're talking about flatbread grill needs versus thumb bread? And then where's that over? Overlap. I mean, just how do you even begin to answer that question? I don't know. That's, but a, <laughs> I'll that's, leave it no, with that's you. a great, that's a great question. And I, I think a lot of people wonder that because, um, one of the things about being a, a, a female in business, um, especially if you're, you know, like perky and you smile a lot people, people have this, uh, this ignorant conception that your misconception that everything comes easily and your ideas just fall out of the sky and, and land at your feet and opportunities come out. And it's not like that for us. Every, every, we go into everything with the belief that we're going to work very hard for it. Um, you know, we're, we're born to immigrant parents and I think anyone that's, that's first generation or second generation, you watch your parents crawl on their hands and knees. You already have that implanted in you that anything I go for in life is going to be a struggle that I have to work my butt off for. Um, so there's never a sense of entitlement. Like I'm just going to take this product to market and everybody's going to open doors for me. We kind of knew that there were going to be a set of challenges, but we did have the foundation of our brand. You know, it's, it's hard to compete. Um, it's hard to kind of take away from us 
that we've been in this industry and a very, very tough industry, self-funded for all of these years, you know, as owner operators. And um, the pivot was easy only because we we had been so hands-on with this product for so long. We had we had the data we needed. Like we know that we were selling, you know, millions of sandwiches on it. We we got to interact with customers, uh, you know, five-year-olds can walk into your restaurant and ask for a piece of thumb bread. That, that says a lot because, you know, for, especially for Gen Z, um, bread is not on their top list of things that they, they right. think about. So, you know, we already had the data there and we had the foundation and we had the, the flatbread grill brand, which is, um, just, which is quite, you know, it's, it's, it's strong. It has a, we have a worldwide social media following. We've gotten major press for it. So, once we had the packaging idea in place and that was there that we knew we were going to market with something that was different and unique and you know the branding was there the the trademarks were there all of that stuff once the the identity lined up for us taking it out into the world was um i don't want to say it was a piece of cake but it, it's just a matter of getting in front of the the right people the right distribution um at this point you know the I think the most difficult thing for us was assessing the the price point and the margins. You know, in, in the restaurant industry, you compromise a lot on your margins because sometimes you don't have a choice because economic conditions or, you know, Cisco might give you a, a higher price for your tomatoes or there's a storm in California and you have no choice to pay double for your lettuce. So you compromise on your margins. In CPG, you can't do that because yeah. it will, you set your price, you don't get to change your price unless you really want to upset your retail partners. Um, and you can't, you have to pat it and make sure that you're making money because this is even in the, in the restaurant industry, you'll hit times where you have no cash flow or you just have to like survive and, 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 you know, cut your payroll, uh, cut your portions, increase your prices. You don't get to do that with CPG. So, um, you know, that's, I think that that's one of the, the, the biggest things that's different for me from what I'm seeing is that if I tell someone that this is our price, I can never go back and say, Hey, actually just kidding. I'm sorry. Like, um, yeah, we messed up. You only get one chance. I mean, a lot is changing. Like right now, then, uh, you know, um, a lot of suppliers are because they're having so many supply chain issues that they'll do, okay, we're going to increase our, our price in three months. But, um, you know, that's, it's, it's not something you can do overnight. Like you can raise your menu prices overnight if you wanted to, your customers will adjust and it's not like that's that right. in CPG. Yeah. It's, um, it's slower and more rigid comparatively. Yes. Yes, um, that's exactly it. it. Things take, in our restaurants, I mean, t- building a restaurant always took at least six months to a year for us, no matter where we were going. Um, Cause we were always renting spaces that were not, you know, they were not restaurants. So, um, you know, in the, in the restaurant industry, you could, you can do things rather quickly. You want to do delivery, you get on a new third party app, you, you know, you want to put in a self ordering kiosk, you update your menu. CPG, we're having conversations with people now for 2000, um, you know, 2023. And it's like, it seems like so far out, but that's, that's how the planning goes. You know, it's, it's everything takes wherever you have to have multiple, multiple meetings uh, in the restaurant industry. You get instantaneous feedback the customer will almost always let you know right away like i hate your product i love your product <laughs> and if they don't tell you to your face they'll go on yelp right 
So That's right. in, the, in the CPG industry, it's not like that. Sometimes you could send a sample out and you're waiting two weeks to hear back or, you know, like we've, we've been in one of our retail partners since February and we're just starting to get data back now. You know, it's almost the end of April. Now we're starting wow. to get customer feedback and, and sales figures. So it definitely does move a lot slower in, in this world. Um, and so that's one thing that's frustrating because when you, you know, when you have a product that's, that's you feel like it's, it's ready for the world, you kind of have to go at everybody else's pace, which can be frustrating. Oh, insanely. I think that's a surefire <laughs> way to get me into a really bad mental state. I don't do well with having to wait. Um, so Hurry I can't imagine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, you rushed to get what you need to get done and then you're just waiting. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, but that's amazing. I mean, making that pivot to CPG and, and while still maintaining a strong restaurant presence um, is to be lauded. And I love what you're saying about hard work. So I think it was Samuel Goldwyn who's renowned for saying, uh, the harder I work, the luckier I get. And, and that's usually what it is. I mean, I've even had mm -hmm. people say to me like, oh, you're lucky that you got to launch that book. And I'm like, lucky. <laughs> I'm like, bro, I like work really hard <laughs> for that. Right now, it's not, it's definitely not as easy as, as people think it is. And yeah. I, when people ask me, like, just sit down and write. And they're like, that's it. Well, sit down and write. And I don't know. It's, it's a lot of like mental keeping. And then edit, 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 yes, edit, yes. edit. Yeah. <laughs> like over and over again. <laughs> Throw it all away because everything sucks. Yeah. Start over. Yeah. I mean, it's a nightmare. <laughs> just delete it all. Yeah. It's, it's not easy. Nothing is easy. Nothing worth right. anything is easy. Um, but it sounds like you and your sisters have a fantastic work, work ethic that was uh, instilled in you by your family. Um, I think that's something that you see common across many immigrant cultures, um, including, you know, even my family, my, my family were hard workers. I don't understand people who don't work hard. I try, exactly. I just don't understand them. Um, you know, and so, and it's obviously it's, it's bared fruit for you. And I think that's amazing. Um, so this might be the, the toughest question of the entire chat. If you had one final meal, where would you <laughs> eat and what would you eat and why? This is actually, this is a very difficult question because I love food You know, I can go out with like a Shake Shack burger in my hands. Um, but I do there's one restaurant I really love uh, so much. And if I could go there more often, I would. And that's Wolfgang's in Times Square, Wolfgang Steakhouse. Um, but I also am dying to try Carbone, Carbone, depending on if you mm -hmm. want to do the Italian pronunciation. Um, I am dying to try them. And I've, I've, I have great admiration for major food groups, but I haven't actually ever had to, been able to eat anything at the restaurants. I could probably get, I'm sure I could probably call one of my restaurant friends to get me a reservation. That's right. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm just, I'm dying to try their lobster ravioli. Um, so mm. I think that if that would, that would probably be my last meal. I would hope that it's as good as everyone says it is. So yeah. That's I amazing. <laughs> yeah. What's not to love? I mean, I'm part Sicilian, so it's, uh, I, I make my own <laughs> pasta. I make my own sauce in, in, I think that's one thing that's interesting. I love that you guys have made so many things, um, from scratch on your menu. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. I know that sounds silly, but I don't think people quite realize how many times it's a, uh, plop and drop from Cisco. And, uh, yes, yeah. not no, always I'm a bad so thing. I'm so glad you said that. Yeah. It's, uh, that was early on. That was one of Arzu's, one of Arzu's things with the brand. She was like, we're going to make fresh food to order at affordable price points and serve it in a warm, casual environment. Um, 
So, and that, again, that was like, that wasn't a thing. You had fast food and, you know, you had quick serve um, and full service, but that, that wasn't a thing like making from scratch, you know, and um, people do get their hummus uh, stuffed grape leaves or tzatziki from, from Cisco US Foods. And we, we have always, always made it from scratch. Um, I think that if we did it, my, my father would probably disown us. So (laughs) there were some other repercussions. (laughs) (laughs) Are you getting that out of the can? What are you doing? Like it would be insulting an insult to our culture to do that. So, Oh, and it it is such a different flavor. And I know most people listening to this agree. And so I'm probably preaching to the choir, but if you haven't tried to like eat bread that was made, not in a, uh, a factory. Not that that's yeah. bad. Like, look, we, you know, supply. No, I, I, listen, I when I'm selling bread now. So when I go out into the field and I talk to buyers, I'm like, this is not a factory made Kaiser. Okay. And they right. don't like me for saying that, but that's the truth because a, a lot of the bread you see out there is factory made. You know, right. Our bread is still handmade. Um, there's still, even though it's semi-automated, we're still, every bread still goes gets touched by us. Um, and, and, and there's a difference, you know, there's a difference between the flour we use, the way it's mixed, the process. So yes, a lot of the bread you're seeing out there is, um, and there's, there's some great, great, there are some great factory made bread. That's right. Phenomenal. But they are, you know, the, 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 the essence of bread making, the art of baking is it's kind of get, it's lost lost in that, you know, that factory. Well, and there's a reason why it tastes better too. And, and if you really think about it, like for instance, there's a a place down the street here, it's a gem, it's called star provisions. And on Mm -hmm. one side of the building is more of a cafe everyday kind of eating on the other side is one of the best restaurants in the city of Atlanta. Um, Mm -hmm. the reason why I bring this up is the food that you're getting at the cafe is the food that they serve at the best restaurant in Atlanta, uh, Mm -hmm. including their baked goods. And when you're, when you're a bakery or a butcher, you're the, the product that, you know, it moves so fast that you're able to make it fresh. And when you're making stuff fresh, you don't have to have additional things that give you the shelf life that you would pull off of um, a grocery store shelf. Again, I'm not knocking it. It it has to happen. It's the way it works. Um, But there is a notable difference in handcrafted, um, real food and even down to butcher. Like when I want to have a really good meal, I'll go to Buckhead butcher. I will spend the (laughs) money get, even if it's ground beef, like you wouldn't think ground beef. I mean, you would, but like many people wouldn't think ground beef has a scale, but really good ground beef is fantastic on burgers. It's like unbeatable compared (laughs) to, you know, grocery store. My big, my big sister's the, the, she does a lot of cooking for us um, at home and she's, she's always going for the, the expensive premium ground beef. And I used to make fun of her for it, but I get it. I totally get it. Yeah. It makes all the difference. It really it's does. Nice to, it's nice to hear that because, you know, we're, we're, we are premium products and our, um, you know, taking it out to market is in the bakery category and trying to explain to, to buyers that listen, the customer will pay a little bit more for a premium product. And once they have it, they're going to love it and they're going to keep coming back is that's, that's been a big challenge for us because they are used to the factory bread. They're used that's to right. the, I don't want to see cheaper, more affordable breads that give them better margins um, that are, you know, they're not made with premium flour. They're not hand formed. They're coming off the factory line. So that's, that's been a challenge for us. But, um, 
finding we're finding kind of our groove and we're we're connecting with people who get it um as opposed to you know just taking it out and showing it to everybody who who may not necessarily get it i think it's it's new ideas take a while sometimes to catch on and i saw this with a restaurant where people are like well what are you doing like you're starting a restaurant that's that's weird you know and now everyone's like i want to start a restaurant so you know it takes sometimes new newer ideas that are outside the box like a branded bread artisan bread is like blowing people's mind like right people there's an opportunity there so it it takes a a little bit of time um but i think that once it catches on it's gonna it's going to be phenomenal so i'm optimistic for the future and we're rooting for you we really are. Uh, when, when you tell me that everybody wants to open a restaurant now, maybe it's because it was just Easter, but I'm like, forgive them, Father. They know not what they want. Yeah, like, I know. Like, I've had people like go, I have had people say to us, like, oh, I, you know, I gave up my job and I started a restaurant because I saw you and your sisters on Instagram. Like, who are you thinking? What even gave you, what, why would you ever even think that we know what we're doing all, yeah. all the time? Like, do you understand like how, you know, we know what we're doing, but it is, I just mean like every day we're putting out a fire it's and a grind. You, you don't see that on even the people who kind of repurpose their stories of vulnerability and difficulty, you know, to inspire, give you behind the scenes. They're even, they're still filtering their story. Absolutely. You know, like nobody, will tell you the truth of how insanely difficult it is, especially if you're a, a, you know, you're an owner operator who is funding your own business and you're, you don't have VC backed money to open a hundred locations and a team of like 25 director of operations. So it's, um, Oh, even when you do have that, it's just a whole different set of challenges. I mean, (laughs) it's not, in my opinion, it's not better or worse. I've seen both and, uh, it's just different and still a pain, still difficult. Oh yeah. Um, Especially when you have uh, the money people to answer to. Yes. That's right. (laughs) They want to see their money back. So, uh, (laughs) you know, that becomes really difficult. Um, well, this has been fantastic and you, it'd be wonderful. Um, you know, I heard you slightly mention that you're writing a book. So when you, when you launch yes. that, I want to have you back on, I want to talk about it. Thank you. Um, and keep up the great work. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> so many of my friends that are, that are writers and authors are like, is, is a book coming? Is a book coming? And I'm like, um, someday maybe, I don't know. I have half a million words right now to toy around with. So it's a, That's good. The process. <laughs> yeah, it's a process. It definitely is. And just like everything else, it's a grind. So um, yeah. I hope to see it out there in the world. Thank you for your time. You. This has been amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. If you love what we've served up, please follow us at Vigor Branding on Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube, and Medium. Fork Tales is produced by the team at Vigor. Audio and video post-productions provided by Zencaster. Music performed by Jet Trash and licensed through musicbed.com. Joseph handles his own hair, makeup, and stunts. Copyright 2003 to 2021, Vigor Graphic Design, LLC, all rights reserved.